Well, listen, I would like to wish you all a happy Flag Day. Did you know today was Flag Day? Well, there you go. Listen, when I was growing up, I didn't really pay much attention to Flag Day. I really didn't. Um, But there's a reason why I love Flag Day. Because it just so happens, 34 years ago, on Flag Day, I got married to Barbara Wilde. And since then, I have always looked forward to Flag Day. And let me tell you why. Because when, usually on the calendars, it shows you where the holidays are. Right? And you see Flag Day. And for my mind, Flag Day, huh, that's anniversary. So I don't forget. Anniversary. Which could be bad. Now listen, I've never actually forgotten our anniversary. I have forgotten her birthday. That didn't go well, did that? And maybe because I didn't, I almost forgot your birthday one year. We almost didn't have any more anniversaries, right? <laughs> anyway, so 34 years ago, I made the second best decision I ever made in my life. And why she has stayed with me, I have no idea. Because I'm, I'm sort of ridiculous. But she has shown me grace and mercy. And if it wasn't for her love of patience, her love of grace, unconditional love, she's taught me God's love. So thank you, Barbara, for 34 years. Okay. So, did you guys read 1 Kings this week? Did you, like, oh, this is good stuff. It's always good to get a, a new, fresh one, you know? It's like, oh, get the book and read it. I usually grab the wrong one and I can bring it with me. Like, oh, it's the wrong one. But this week I was actually really good and um, kept up with the reading. Actually, that's not true. I read it all in one day because I wanted to be ahead. But um, I did review. Anyway, so... Um, Hopefully you read it and you, you liked what you read and it challenged you. Because anytime we read the Bible, we should be challenged. And so uh, today for our, our unveiling of the Word of God, the reading of the Word of God, I chose 1 Kings chapter 3. And why that's important, and if you did not hear Jeremy's sermon last, year, last week, you should have. You go back to it because he set the great framework and he talks about Solomon. He talks about why in 1 Kings soon and very soon the nation of Israel will be split into two nations. Israel being the north, Judah being the south. Okay, And it's because of Solomon that this happens. And so the first 11 chapters of 1 Kings, we sort of get a summation. We see some highlights, we see some lowlights within the life of Solomon. And so 1 
Kings chapter 3 sort of sets the stage for the rest of the book. And by book, I mean Kings, not just first, but second Kings too. It sets the stage. And so we're going to look at that, we're going to read it, and we're going to see a particular incident when it comes to Solomon, and then we're going to see the generalities here. Okay? So, hopefully you've got your book, or your Bible, or your phone. Be, please be turned to 1 Kings 3. I'll be reading from the New International Version, the one that you find here in this one. You got it? You ready? I could, I mean, I could change the tone. So make sure you read it and follow along with me. Here we go. 1 Kings chapter 3. Solomon made an alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and married his daughter. He brought her to the city of David until he finished building his palace and the temple of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. The people, however, were still sacrificing at the high places because the temple had not been built for the name of the Lord. Solomon showed his love for the Lord by walking according to the statutes of his father David, except that he offered sacrifices and burned incense on the high places. The king went to Gibeon to offer sacrifices, for that was the most important high place, and Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream, and God said, Ask for whatever you want me to give you. And Solomon answered, You have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You have continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. Now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David, but I am only a little child and did not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, Since you have asked for this and not for long life or wealth for yourself or have asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment and administering justice... I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both riches and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. And if you walk in my ways and obey my statutes and commands as David your father did, I will give you a long life. Then Solomon awoke, and he realized it had been a dream. He returned to Jerusalem, stood before the Ark of the Lord's Covenant, and sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. This, Then he gave a feast for all his court. Verse 16. Now two prostitutes came to the king and stood before him. One of them said, My lord, this woman and I live in the same house. I had a baby while she was there with me. The third day after my child was born, this woman also had a baby. We were alone. There was no one in the house but the two of us. During the night, this woman's son died before she, because she lay on him. So she got up in the middle of the night and took my son from my side while I, your servant, was asleep. 
She put him by her breast and put her dead son by my breast. The next morning I got up to nurse my son and he was dead. But when I looked at him closely in the morning light, I saw that it wasn't the son I had born. The other woman said, no, the living one is my son. The dead one is yours. But the first one insisted, no, the dead one is yours. The living one is mine. And so they argued before the king. The king said, this one says, my son is alive and your son is dead. While the other one, while the, that one says, no, your son is dead and mine is alive. Then the king said, bring me a sword. So they brought a, a sword for the king and then he gave an order, cut the living child in two and give half to one and half to the other. The woman whose son was alive was filled with compassion for her son and said to the king, please, Lord, give her the living baby. Don't kill him. But they said, neither I nor you shall have him. Cut him in two. Then the king gave his ruling. Give the living baby to the first woman. Do not kill him. She is his mother. When all Israel heard the verdict the king had given, they held the king in awe because they saw that he had wisdom from God to administer justice. Okay, there is so much in this chapter. Many, things, many times we lose a lot of the stuff that's written in the Bible because, one, we're not within the framework. We don't understand all of what's going on in the narrative. But there's so much that's not said that is actually said that we need to look at today that um, will help you with your understanding. Now, hopefully when you read this, you also read... Second Corinthians chapter, Second Chronicles chapter one to go along with it because there's this supplemental reading. And there's some important stuff in there, but let's look at let's look at this first of all. To sum up the story, First Kings says that Solomon loved the Lord, except or but. He sacrificed the high places. It's interesting. What in the world are they talking about? First of all, I, I believe early in Solomon's reign, he does indeed love the Lord. He does indeed want to follow the Lord, just like his father David. David encouraged him to do this, and he did it. He was a good son. He was going to do what his father and the law said that he should be as a king. Now, one of the things that you have to remember, this book was probably written much later. We believe it was probably written either just before the exile. Tradition has it in Jewish that Jeremiah actually wrote Kings. Okay? Or it was done and compiled post-exilic when they came back to gather all the why did this happen but the interesting part of this is that they're identifying Solomon as lifting up sacrifices in the high places okay well right now it's okay to sacrifice in the high places even though Later on, the prophets will say, don't sacrifice in the high places. You need to go to the temple. Because right now, there's no temple. And even more so, you will notice in your reading 
that the ark of the Lord and the tabernacle are in two different places. When David brought the ark to Jerusalem, I mean, the whole thing of Uzzah touching it and, and dying and stopping and staying at someone else's house for a while until he was able to do it the right way and bring it in, he just brought the ark. He didn't bring the tabernacle. Where was the tabernacle? Gibeon. So when Solomon goes to Gibeon and takes all of the leaders, you will find out in, in uh, 2 Chronicles 1, he brings all of the leaders and they all go together. And they go to Gibeon because that's where the tabernacle is. Not the ark, but the tabernacle. And with the tabernacle is the brazen altar. The place to do sacrifices. Why is the tabernacle still somewhere else? Other, why didn't David bring everything to Jerusalem? He just brought the ark. Very interesting. And some of this may be conjecture, but we need to, from looking from other parts of the Bible, we need to look at this. It appears... After the tabernacle, with the ark being brought into the promised land, it ran a a course along the promised land. When they first entered into the promised land, the ark and the tabernacle were at Shiloh. Do we have a map? I forgot my pointer, but let's look at a map. Do we have a map? Okay. Okay. Well, even better. Thank you for bringing that up. Okay. If you lo- notice, look where Jerusalem is. It's right up above Jerusalem. There's a place in the mountains called Shiloh. And this is where the tabernacle and the altar stayed for a long period of time. As a matter of fact, when we were reading about Samuel growing up, it's in Shiloh. This is where people came, just like Elkanah, the father of Samuel, came to bring offerings to the Lord yearly. That's where you went. You went to Shiloh. Though something devastating happened in Shiloh, the Philistines attacked, and lo and behold, the ark of the Lord was captured by the Philistines. Do you remember this in Samuel? And Eli is leaning back and he hears about the death of his sons. He hears about the ark being taken. When he hears the ark being taken, he falls backward, breaks his neck, and he dies. This was so devastating. Now, later on, the Philistines give the ark back because so much is going on bad with the Philistines in their different various places that they've kept it. They said, here, take it. It's causing tumors. It's devastating our people. And so for the people of Israel, they didn't want to bring the tabernacle and the ark back to Shiloh. In fact, it sits at a guy by the name of Benedict's house for a long time until they figured it out. Okay? And during that time, Saul brings it to Nob. And that is where it resides. In fact, when David flees 
He goes to Nob, and there's the, there's the priest, and there's the, there's the, the bread that's supposed to be the showbread, for, and he takes it because he's hungry, and he has Goliath's sword, and he goes there, and he takes off. Unbeknownst to the priest, David was running from King Saul. And so what does Saul do? He goes and slaughters everybody at Nob, all the priests. He caused such a stench that no one wants to go to the tabernacle or altar in Nob because there was so much devastation. So Saul moves it to Gibeon. And that's where it stays. It appears that the only time the tabernacle is moved when something devastating happens. And so for David to have moved the tabernacle down to Jerusalem without anything devastating happen, the people might have gone, because they're kind of maybe superstitious, I don't know, but it had to stay in Gibeon. So now, when Solomon has finally established himself as king, he wants to bring out sacrifices, thanksgiving sacrifices to God. And he doesn't just do it for himself. He brings all of the, all of the leaders with him, and they do over in abundance of sacrifices. It says a thousand. I mean, that's... That's a lot of sacrificing. That means he is completely devoted. You don't do a thousand sacrifices in a, in a half hour sermon or a half hour service. You just, I mean, it takes a long time. This is a long, prolonged thing. Not to mention the fact that this is of his own wealth. He's, he's willing to, to give up a thousand animals for sacrifice. Whew. And that very night that he does the sacrifices, he's finally been established as king. He's going to God first. God visits him in a dream. Which is significant. How many of you have had God visit you in a dream and told you specifically, hey, what do you want? I'll give it to you. Oh. Actually, Solomon gets visited by God twice. Which makes... Even the end of his life when he decides to turn from God and worship at all of these other temples because of his wives, even more significantly bad. Because he has, he knew it. He heard from God. And God told him, if you walk in all your ways, like David, like your father, you will be blessed and you will have someone in the throne. Just like I promised David. There's, there's some condition there. You need to keep doing it. You need to keep following the Lord. So he, he hears from God. What shall I give you? And Solomon, who says he's a child, but he's really just kind of showing that he, he's a little overwhelmed with the idea that he's going to have to rule and practice justice on... And what Solomon says is interesting. He says, who can rule these people that are greater than the, sore, the, the sand on the shore? 
I mean, there's so many people. That's a fulfillment of God, what he promised Abraham, didn't he? Remember Abraham? He didn't have a descendant. He's old. His wife's old. And God said something amazing to him. He says, you're going to have so many descendants, you won't even be able to count them. That made Sarah laugh. Ha, 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 But it happened. And now, God has increased. And in the promised land, they've increased. And there's so many people. And so when God says, Solomon, what do you want? I need wisdom. I need discernment to be able to do what is right. And it says that God was pleased with what he asked for. It pleased God because he asked for something that was beyond for him. He's thinking about everybody. It's not a selfish ask. He says, well, because you've asked for this this way, I'm also going to give you wealth and honor. That's interesting. So, and then we see in the second part of this chapter, this being carried out in practical terms. The Bible says here, from your translation, probably said two harlots, two prostitutes. Many people kind of put it awe by that. Now, I've read commentaries that said the same word for prostitutes in this Jewish form could also be innkeepers. Okay. That still doesn't change the the judgment here, but why would two innkeepers be staying in the same place? I'm not sure. But anyway, what we look at here, and this is just a brief, we'll take the second part here first and we'll look at it. Okay, so... One, it's kind of odd that prostitutes who are usually generally designated to be sort of the outskirts of society has an ear of the king. And we see that these two prostitutes are living alone by themselves. You know, sometimes we think in our day and age, wow, you know, single motherhood is, is going on here. Well, it's going on back then. And we, we, we seem to think... Everything was great during Bible times. No, they weren't. And for a child to die during few first few days of, of life, second mom would rather just have a living child, not the dead child. And so when it gets, gets down to the nitty gritty and the real mother would rather give up her child and have life for that child than that child to be with her. Huh. And Solomon determines, figures out, proves who the real mother is. Now, this is very important to look. When you talk about administering justice, 
in the law, the establishment is on the testimony of two or three witnesses. A matter is established. And so there's no one else in this house except the two ladies. And the two witnesses are on opposite ends of saying what's happened. So someone is telling the truth and someone is lying. Because there's no other witnesses. How is the matter established? This is the remarkability of Solomon, his decision. He acts upon knowing who the real mother would be based on the compassion of what a real mother would want. His discernment allowed something that could not be deciphered from other witnesses to figure out what really happened. That is what is in awe of the people. That is what... Oh my gosh. And it says that the people realized that it came from God. Listen, Solomon just didn't show up. They didn't order out for a king and he showed up. He grew up. Many people saw Solomon running around the palace. He was probably a knucklehead. I know when I was a young person, I was a knucklehead. And there are some knuckleheads still in this room today. But eventually, you grow up and you stop being a knucklehead, hopefully. You do that by observing and changing, making mistakes and picking yourself back up and saying, maybe I shouldn't do that anymore. Listen, age brings a lot of wisdom just by experiences. I remember being maybe five, maybe four, maybe three in my old house down on 737 Fitzgerald Road down in the North Valley. And I remember sticking my finger in an electric socket and getting zapped. I learned you should probably not stick your finger in an electric socket. I never did that again. I mean, it's not on purpose. There's a few times I was doing some demo work and I hit live wire and it shocked me. I remember back to when I was young and I stuck my finger in Ah! I should probably avoid that. I have learned what to do and what not to do. Okay? Now, if you look at the New American Standard Version of, of this and the Second Chronicles chapter 1 passage, it talks about two different things. It separates wisdom and knowledge. The Bible there is showing that there's two different kinds. There's wisdom and and there's knowledge. Last week, Jeremy's very critical had talked the passage that said knowledge puffs up. Right? Listen, there were people that I went to seminary with that I went to school that were much more knowledgeable of me, much more knowledgeable of the scriptures than I did. I was in awe of them, what they knew, and the study that they did. But let me tell you something. There's a few in my class that are now no longer following the Lord. And that breaks my heart. 
They've gotten too smart for God. This is not what we want. In fact, when we look at Solomon's life, the Bible says that he was wiser than anybody ever was or ever will be as a mortal human being. But yet at the end of life, he turned from the Lord because of his wives and following them and worship bowing a knee to other gods at the end of his life. You know what that tells me? That tells me even if you know right from wrong, it's not a guarantee that you're always going to choose right. See, many of us are in the assumption, but well, if I could just learn more about the Bible, if I could just learn more then things would go so great for me. I submit to you, that's not always true. There have been times in my life when it comes to relationship with my wife, I knew what the right thing was to do and I did the opposite. To my devastation. So knowledge isn't the key. And even wisdom to itself is not the answer. Now it's a byproduct. A byproduct of what? Following the Lord. Listen, as Jewish tradition holds, we are aware that Solomon wrote three books and a psalm. That's a big portion of scripture within the Old Testament. We, be, we believe through tradition that Solomon wrote the Song of Songs during his youth when he was firstly married. Now, was it, was it the alliance marriage that he had with Pharaoh? I don't know. By the way, Solomon... Marrying Pharaoh's daughter was not against the law. The law said you shouldn't marry anybody within the Canaanites that were the, you move into with. Okay? Because they were the ones that were going to turn your heart. Anyway, also, Jewish tradition is that she became a proselyte of Israel. But he moves her into the king to the city of David, not in Jerusalem. In a separate part, he doesn't she doesn't stay in the palace of David. He has her sequestered some here until he can build his own palace. Because that's where they think the ark is, the new tent that was built for the ark. Because remember, the tabernacle is back over in Gibeon. You don't see that in Scripture, but you can see it from there that he's trying to do what's right by Lord, at this time. So, we, we have him reading, writing the Song of Songs about faithful marriage early on in his life. And about midway through his life, when he has something he has to tell his children, we believe he writes the Proverbs. The book of Proverbs, done in the middle part of his life, 
And we believe that the Ecclesiastes was written toward the end of his life. Now, Ecclesiastes is a very interesting book because I'll I'll sum it up for you. Solomon, because of all the wisdom he had, because of all the riches he has, he decides to do an experiment for all the things in life. He goes to the excess of everything. He goes all the way to the end. He goes all the way to everything. He's trying everything to see what's meaningful and what's not. And so, you hear this a lot in Ecclesiastes. It's all vanity. It's all a chasing of the wind. Everything, he says. So, you acquire wealth, you acquire all this wealth, guess what? You die and you leave it to somebody else. So it's meaningless. You, you do all these projects, you do all you can to help these big, make big gardens, make big make things improvements, and you know what? After you die, it all goes back to rot again. It's meaningless. You gather all of this stuff, all this knowledge, and you you get all of this wealth of knowledge. Well, guess what? You die, and you don't leave it all, and people don't pay attention to what you're saying. It's meaningless. Meaningless. Everything that we try for, everything we strive for, it's meaningless. You know why? Because we die. In two or three generations, they forget all about you. How many of you know anything about your great, 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 great grandfather? I mean, really. Maybe a little bit, but not much. And this is what Solomon is saying. It's all meaningless. But at the very end of the book of Ecclesiastes, he says this. I'll get there. Is it on there? Now all has been heard, and here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. This is the duty of all mankind. Fear God and keep his commandments. Listen, we know because we have the end of the story here. We have the whole book. We know what's going to happen. Solomon is telling us what we should do, not what he should do, because he didn't. What are you striving for? What do you want? Solomon says the thing we should do is fear God and keep his commandments. That's the only thing that's worthwhile. It's not vanity. How many of you 
not by a show of hands, but just how many of you, when you read this, when <laughs> Solomon has his dream and God comes to him and says, what do you want? Anything you want, I'll give you. Thought, huh? I wish God would want that for, would give that to me, right? <laughs> I've got lots of things I'd like to win. I've got my list, right? How many of you thought, God, I wish, I wish God would give me that dream. I wish God would come to me and ask me what I want. Let me tell you something. He has. He already has. Let me give you some biblical proof. Let's look at Matthew 7, 7. This is Jesus talking. He says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Now, in the original text... What it's actually is, ask and keep asking, and it will be given to you. Seek and keep on seeking, and you will find. Knock and keep on knocking, and it will be open to you. Thank you, Pastor Don, for that reference. Does that sound like, what do you want? It does to me. How about John 15, chapter 7? If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. How about 1 John 5.14? Now, this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Oh! My friends, let me give you some good news. God wants to give you something. question is, what are you going to ask for? Are you going to be like Solomon and ask for wisdom? Because that pleased God. That sounds like a very good thing. But it's not the very best thing. Because, again, let me remind you, just because you know what's right... And what's wrong is not a guarantee that you will choose what's right. Because we're fallen in nature. What if we ask God, help me to love you, help me to fear you, and to keep your commandments? I'm not sure because there's times in my life when I look at what I've been doing, I'm not pursuing that. I'll just be transparent with you. What I'm striving for is a better home, nicer car, more knowledge in reading.
How did we, how did we get to the point that we're just praying to God for our health? How did we get there and we just ask God, just give me, strike my enemies. Because those are foolish pursuits. But if we fear God, if we love God, that can do a lot of good things. Not only for us, but for others. Because if we love God, we will love others. Because if we don't love others, we don't love God. And we need help in obeying the commands of the Lord. We do, because we're fallen in nature. We screw up all the time. At least I do. I mean, am I speaking to the right people here? What helps me to not sin and to keep the commands of the Lord is not me. It's Jesus living inside of me that changes me. Did you hear the music today? Did you hear that? That we need to be changed, the transformation. That transformation doesn't happen on our own. It happens when we accept Christ and we take Christ into our... And we get relearn to love God and not love ourselves. That's the transformational key. And that's why you do that. You can finish well. Because Solomon didn't finish well. Listen, all of us, we're fallen in nature. We screw up. We mess up. We run into things. We do. We mess up. But it's God who forgives. It's God's grace who changes us. It's God who sanctifies us so that the end of time when we go before our God we want to hear well done good and faithful servant. Can't do it on our own. We need God to change us. That's my prayer for you. That's my prayer for me. Let's go to the Lord in prayer right now. Father God, I come before you. Lord God, thank you for your word. Thank you that we are taught we can learn from the past. Father God, help us. To be wise, yet loving. To pursue you above all else. Let's 
Seek ye first the kingdom of heaven. And all that else we brought forward. You are a great God. We thank you for this time that we get to spend together. We thank you for this time of worship, of communion, of fellowship, and the breaking of your word. Oh, Lord, help us this week. May the reading of this word change us in such a way that we're better. And we make the people around us better. And the kingdom of God gets ushered in more. Thank you, Lord. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. If you need prayer, the elders will be up front. We'll be happy to pray for you because we're getting people up here now. And we will, we will take, we will have discernment about whether you want to be touched. We will give you social distance if you prefer. It doesn't matter. But we can still pray for you. If you don't want to do that now and you'd like to just add a prayer request, put them in the boxes because the elders will be praying for you. I guarantee you they will be prayed for. So make sure that happens. Otherwise, have an incredibly blessed week in the name of Jesus.